Yo, Emily. Hi. Hello. I ripped out my headphone. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Welcome to the Sex Files. The final episode of season one. Mm. <laughs> it's so weird um, because I'm on my period and I really don't want to be perceived right now. And I'm just realizing this as we press record. Oh, if you want to wait, we can. <laughs> No, we're doing it. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. If you feel at any point, we can always stop and do the rest later. Okay, thanks. I appreciate you. Yeah, you're welcome. Anyways, how's it going? How's life? Um, you know, <laughs> life is fine. Life is just fine. <laughs> I feel like we're so depressed because every time we say, how's it going? We just say, you know. It's- well, listen, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's just real. It's real. Yeah. Um. So we have- How are you? Well, time out. Time out. Mm-hmm. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> you saw. <laughs> <laughs> I've cried once today, so- <laughs> It's only to a good start. It's only noon. Anyways, so this is gonna be an episode. This is gonna be an episode because here, here, hear me out. So this is gonna be the episode to end all episodes, which is actually correct because this is the last episode. So, so it's true. We're That's gonna true. be real killjoys in this episode. Like Emily's cracked the show. So <laughs> I don't know if there's any even moving forward after this episode. But also the curious cat that we're talking about is that is. It's a hefty question. It's heavy. It's heavy. So um, I wanted to start off by saying we've been getting a lot of, we get lovely DMs all the time, which are incredible. And they make our little days. Um, but we also get a lot of DMs that are like, did you, did you get our question? Here, let me send it again. Or and, and wanting an urgent reply. And so this is just a gentle reminder that there's just two of us here. Um, <laughs> just two little old gals at home with their mics. And if you want quicker replies then maybe kick us some change and it'll put a fire into our asses open your wallets open your wallets because right now we have other jobs that suck so yep um because truly thinking about it with our listener support link that we'll um include at the bottom it's um the it's i think there's a few different options for what you can do but one of them is literally 99 cents and it's month it's 99 cents a month so that's 99 cents for eight hour and a half long episodes seems like a good deal to me <laughs> it seems like a steal seems like a steal or you can be really lovely and do five dollars a month two dollars a month i think you might be able to pick i don't really know how it works but um any money to help support our um because we're giving you a lot of emotional labor here so anything to wow. support that we appreciate greatly yep this is our mental health and our wallets yep because we're broke okay anyways <laughs> and i'm trying to move so yep yeah all right so how do you want to read the introduce this question so we received a question on curious cat um that was uh very detailed um personal personal and ultimately in order for stevie and i to tackle this in a way that was healthy for us um we but then still very informative and um um calling out when it needs what it needs to um mm-hmm. we basically kind of tried to split it up um so throughout this discussion we'll kind of split it up based off of how we 
formulated the answers to these. So periodically we'll be reading um, like direct quotes from the question just so that we can keep on track and we can um, address different issues that were taught that were brought up in the question um, and then we'll kind of discuss from there sounds good yeah yeah do you want to start us off i would love to start us off sure the first part that we kind of took out was uh, let, let's just preface this question was about race this question mm-hmm. was about um what quote-unquote white guilt um that one may feel and uh, the like. So the first part of the question said, um, I am white and whenever you guys talk about white people and the oppression they put onto people of color, it really triggers me. So this is gonna be some very tough love, but it needs to be said in that way because this is nothing to um, fuck around about. Um, So If facing your whiteness and the privilege that it affords you and your hand in oppression um, makes you more uncomfortable than the outrage you feel at the actual oppression that people of color and black people face, um, take a step back and sit with that feeling for a very long time um, and really break it down. The accusation of racism um, and the Uh, perception that you are an oppressor should not trigger you more than actual racism that people face Mm -hmm. and uh this listener this listener um mentioned a trauma that she experienced um in relation to all of this and this is not dismissing that at all but take a step back and recognize whether or not your trauma is rooted in abuse or bullying or whatever you want to call it um, or whether that trauma is rooted um, in a race-based discrimination or um, you know a microaggression or mm-hmm. something like that um, because there's a huge difference between those two things <laughs> yes um, so to this listener who asked this question try to remove that assumption um, from your reflection of that trauma that it, it was abuse it was bullying but it was not um because of the person's race that where your trauma is 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 rooted necessarily yeah so then this uh listener went on to say that she's not racist but um she said being racist doesn't apply to me nor does any of the little racist behaviors that are not as serious being racist does apply to you because you're white and in a white supremacy your whiteness makes it physically impossible for you to be exempt from racism um is that a personal flaw no but is it something that you need to confront uh absolutely Mm -hmm. and uh i know stevie and i were talking about this for a while like even if you are not actively participating in microaggressions towards people of color and black people, you are still benefiting from systems that are made to work specifically for you and actively against people of color. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I'm a cis straight white woman and have a lot of fucking privilege because the society and system that I live in is set up to support me and my existence in most ways. So I directly benefit from racism, homophobia, transphobia. And because of that, it's my job to listen and to learn and to use my voice because it's actually safe for me to do so when it might not be for others. And so totally. so I, I, I may not support race, like be like, yeah, like I'm not supporting racism, homophobia or transphobia, but it doesn't mean that I don't benefit from it and that I'm not a part of the system because I'm existing within this um, fucked up patriarchy. Exactly. And, and again, just like in a white supremacy, racism isn't something that like you opt in or opt out of. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in the way that we are socialized. And as white people, that socialization is part of something that benefits us. And um, the fact that this is the way that we are socialized and then that ultimately um, comes out in the way that we um, interact with people and the way that we phrase questions and the way that we speak on certain situations and or or lack thereof in any of those those areas, Um, Mm -hmm. like what we leave out is just as telling as what we bring in. all of those things are very obvious in this listener's question. And so I just wanted to read um, a quote that was helpful by um, Rennie Edo Lodge. And she wrote a book called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, which um, you should read if you oh, haven't. Yeah. She said, quote, labeling ourselves feminists does not change the fact that we must consciously work to rid ourselves of the legacy of negative socialization. And yeah. so the same exact thing can and should be applied to racism. Uh, You know, simply living in a progressive area, surrounding yourself with people who don't believe the same things as you is not enough. Exactly. Because you can still live in a very progressive area and go to like the most liberal of schools and surround yourself with what you perceive as the most open-minded people and still exist as a white person who is benefiting from racism. You're not going to erase that fact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As long as racism exists, you will benefit from it because you are white. Yes, exactly. So yeah, so just again, like um, what Stevie said, like you being white isn't going to change. The only thing that can change is the system. Mm -hmm. And so that is what needs to work to be dismantled. Um, And that'll lead perfectly into our, into the next part of our discussion. But I just want to touch on something too that um, really quickly that this person said. She said, um, cause I think like a lot of white people feel this way. It's like, mm. they say, um, like I, I help everyone. Like, I believe that everyone should be equal. Like I, I don't see color. Yeah. Like I do as much as I can to help my community. That would suggest that you believe everything as simple as everything in regarding this is as simple as I want everyone to be equal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not where it starts and that's not the middle of it. That's not where it ends. Um, in a exactly. white supremacy like the recognition that there is inequity that the very foundation of our society and every system is structured to benefit white people um, the recognition of that privilege needs to come first exactly um, because you can't like black people and people of color should not be expected to simply fight the inequity or or cope with it mm-hmm. um, like there needs to be a complete restructuring of the systems for their if there's ever going to be equality. 
Exactly. And like surrounding yourself with the right people and genuinely wanting everyone to be equal is a first step for sure. But like you were just saying, you have to go further and realistically look at your place within this fucked up reach, this patriarchy, and prioritize that as the problem at hand, not how you're feeling about it. Exactly. And so that speaks to like why saying like, I'm quote, super conscious about race is not enough. Like no. nothing that um, listener that you listed in your question is what you need to be doing to actively be anti-racist, like mm-hmm. just flat out. Um, exactly. And it's like racism is a white people problem. Yep. That is who needs to be working to dismantle it and to um, rectify the systems at, at hand. I mean, you don't want to hog the mic about when it comes to racial experiences and you don't want to get caught up in like a savior complex about it because that creates a whole other problem but you do need to acknowledge how your existence contributes to the system and then instead refocus and try to use that existence to help um like drive the narrative yeah um like not only drive the narrative to black voices where it matters. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily like, like if we had taken this question and been like um, a black woman would be much better suited to speak about this. That's not it. Like it is not, yeah. we'll get into this more later, but like, it's not a, it's not a black person's responsibility to explain to you why you are not doing enough to be anti-racist. Like yeah, that exactly. is your, that is our work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's, yeah, let's say like the, if we got a question about um, experiencing racism and in, in navigating that, then yes, a black woman would be much better suited to speak on this. But because this is about white guilt and how white people are dealing with it, like, like that's our work to do. Yeah. So again, that just comes from sitting with all of this and analyzing your place and all of this and when it is appropriate to pass the mic on to a person of color or a black yeah. person and not not when that does not include when you're feeling white guilt and feeling like that burden belongs to people of color. Um, So perfect transition. That was a large part of this listener's question was Mm -hmm. essentially, she said, how do I deal with white guilt? How would you give someone who is a part of the oppressor group um, in parentheses, who doesn't oppress the oppressed group and the parentheses um, advice on how to erase their white guilt? Um, think you need to reframe in a lot of ways in a lot of ways because one you do oppress the oppressed group just your existence does and i think that the biggest issue with the whole message is that you frame the most dire issue to be at hand to be your white guilt and not the racism like you were saying in the beginning emily and i think once you reframe that you'll be able to separate yourself from that martyrdom and do the actual work that needs to be done but you have to you have to prioritize the issues at hand. Yeah. Like you are an oppressor. Yeah. That just, there's no escaping that at all. That, and like we said earlier, like that will never change. Your whiteness will never change until the system changes. So if you feel that bad, work to change the system. Yes, exactly. Um, because clearly you have a conscience. Like Totally. But you have to realize that you're living in a, in a comfort you're living in, in this comfort in a society that has been crafted to support you and your whiteness. And so maybe look at that guilt instead as your gnawing conscious telling you that, there, that you do need to reframe and listen and educate yourself and begin that work. Totally. Just, just reframe what it is. It's not guilt. It's just your conscience telling you, hey, work needs to be done and listen to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. What that statement implies that you said alone, like centers your feelings of guilt 
for your privilege in a racist system over, over, over energy that could be spent dismantling the systems that place you above others. Um, and so it sounds to me like you don't really want to dismantle the systems. You just want to feel less guilty about being a part of the group in them that has mm-hmm. given you a superiority complex That's that reaps real benefits. Yeah. And so going off of that, like the next thing that um, we wanted to talk about was just how this listener was centering um, their feelings over the, over the feelings of others, centering mm-hmm. their feelings at the middle um, of a narrative that... Um, was had nothing to do with that mm-hmm. um she said how do i not take everything so personally when people say quote white people are the problem or do a generalization of white people it's like the saying of quote not all men um and the only thing i'll say to this is like it is all white people though mm-hmm. exactly because if you're not actively participating you're still benefiting and like we will say that a million times in this yeah. like, because um, that's the point Right. Like there is no escaping your participation in a white supremacy as a white person, yeah. just like men in a patriarchy. Exactly. And it's like the thing about not all men and not all white people is that one saying that in conversation immediately invalidates the experience of women and by POC because it's that line of thought that's valuing male and white comfort over the trauma of the oppressed. Exactly. And then two, whether or not you actively have racist beliefs or misogynistic thoughts, as a man, you benefit from the patriarchy in which we live. And as a white person, you benefit from the systemic racism that has been in place for literal centuries. So yep. the, the, it just completely, there's no point in bringing that up. Nobody, because it, it is all. It is. It's it not is. saying that the intention is for everybody. Exactly. There's definitely good people that don't like that and are, are doing the work. But they're still benefiting while they're existing in this society. Exactly. So here's a great example um, because based off of what this person said later in their question, it would seem that the idea of patriarchy and men benefiting from the patriarchy is very, um, is something that they have a hold of that they can harness and understand. Mm -hmm. So in order to put that into perspective, um, a woman tweeted all men benefit from the actions of violent men. It keeps women in check. It allows men to perform. It allows men to perform the barest minimum and still feel good about themselves. Mm. The existence of violent men grants "quote unquote" good men awards for basic decency. So it's it's like even in situations where you are not actively participating in racism, where you aren't saying racial slurs, where you aren't using AAVE, where you aren't voting for Republicans, where you, are, where you aren't voting for um, racist uh, legislative platforms, like you are still participating in a white supremacist system exactly. that oppresses black people and people of color. And keeps um, them in check, just like- And keeps them in check, exactly. And so again, this is the only piece of advice that I can offer you for easing, quote unquote, um, white guilt in the sense that um, you need to harness, you need to, you need to take yourself out of this. Like this is not yeah. about you. Yes. There was a point in the question where she asked how she, how to not take things so personal. I don't know if we said that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. How to take, how to not take everything so personally. Um, so again, um, uh, Rennie Etta Lodge said, um, 
in her book, she said, quote, the politics of whiteness transcends the color of anyone's skin. It is a political ideology that is concerned with maintaining power through domination and exclusion. Anyone can buy into it just like anyone can choose to challenge it. Um, and so she says that, um, again, for example, like when we call people white feminists, it isn't about women who are white who are also feminists but it's rather quote about women espousing feminist politics as they buy into the politics of whiteness which at its core are exclusionary discriminatory and structurally racist mm -hmm. um it's it's about the concept of whiteness that has been deemed superior in a society that has structured every single system based off of that belief mm -hmm. Again, it's not something that you are actively doing. Um, it can be, but mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like that's what this situation is. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you're not benefiting from it. Yep. And then the last thing that this listener said was, <laughs> also, I've never appreciated the power of women this much in my life. You can't appreciate the power of women. You cannot be a feminist and be this willfully ignorant um, to racism and white supremacy. Yep. That's it. And then just the last thing too, I forgot about this point um, that she said earlier on. She said, it makes my day whenever I hear someone respectfully teach me things and open mm -hmm. my mind up to new possibilities because of what I've dealt with in the past. Um, black people and people of color do not owe you consciousness raising and calling out that will make you comfortable. Yeah. Um, they don't, like we were saying earlier, they don't even owe you that education. They don't owe like, it to you to be respectful either. Exactly. Um, you need to remove the expectation that this will all be tied up and presentable to you in a way that will make you feel good about yourself at the end of the day. Stop centering yourself and thinking that this is about you because it isn't. It will make you feel uncomfortable. At the end of the day, it's not. That feeling is nothing um, near the actual issue mm -hmm. at the heart of this, which is dismantling a white supremacy and um, systemic racism. Exactly. You need to reframe and prioritize and take yourself out of the situation. Yep. Exactly. That was the question. Um, while we're here, we wanted to, yep. <laughs> while we're, while we're chatting about this, um, we're going to talk to a lot of our listeners here, including a lot of our good friends. You all need to stop using AAVE. Like, Please, I'm, which I'm is, begging, which is African-American vernacular English. And it's so easy to so look easy. up whether or not a word or phrase you're using is AAVE, uh, literally, because Google is free. Yeah. Stevie and I have done it. I think we did it we, live on the podcast. We did it on the podcast once. and I consciously kept it in. I wrote it here. Um, and so it is not cute at all. Um, when I see white people and non black people using AAVE. Um, like, and, and a lot of you might be thinking, oh, I don't do that. T. Stop saying T. Do you ever listen to the podcast? We say that's the ticket. That is, the, you can say that. <laughs> Spread the word. <laughs> yep. S -s -s that, S-K-S-K-S-K, whatever, um, is AAVE. It is. Yep. And it's very, it, 
just stop using it please. please like i promise just keyboard smash yeah. it's really okay it's, you can have the same effect but don't do that specifically it's just being aware of where language holds an immense amount of connotation an immense amount of weight and these are things that that black people w- were criticized and 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 discredited like used as tools to discredit them the way that they were speaking and so it's on that if they're reclaiming that and it is not it's the same thing as white people having dreadlocks like black people were not hired and now white people are like oh what a cute style like white people can get away with using this language and not be discredited that's the perfect word Mm -hmm. is essentially what this boils down to whereas um when black people use this language that is literally their language they're seen as the negative connotations that those that using this language holds Mm -hmm. um directly harms black people in a way that it does not with white people and i would say white and just non-black people and just non yeah exactly it's not just white people but i also would like to say um language holds no meaning we assign meaning to languages Mm -hmm. that is fundamental linguistics and so um before you you know start saying it's a word how does it belong to someone that is the fun that is foundational linguistics we words have absolutely no meaning except for what we give it to them except for what we assign them um give it to them good stevie i have an english degree (laughs) (laughs) um and so um yeah just don't please stop using these words um it's it's not truly it's really okay and it's not this is not us calling you out this is truly us calling you in Mm. and saying um we are still learning yeah you just look it up exactly just be conscious Um, and uh you recognize that you need it you you know took a misstep need to be more conscious and you move the fuck on and that's it um and then the last one also that's AAVE that we see all the time. And the reason we chose these three, like, please truly look up a list of AAVE yeah. and just like check yourself, call yourself in and just like, you know, that's okay. That's all it takes is just being like, hmm, um, am I participating in some of this harmful behavior and perpetuating um, some harmful narratives that I didn't yeah. even know I was a part of? This is a very easy, no effort way exactly to be aware of how you're participating in systemic racism we when we were looking up um the best way to talk about this we came across an article and there was a really sweet comment on the bottom of one of the (laughs) articles about aave and uh our buddy rob he said i didn't even know what aave was in the slightest and your article was most helpful I never really considered this as a language or a dialect, but more a group of colloquialisms. The examples have really helped educate me and made me challenge my own prejudices. I sincerely thank you. Be like Rob. Be like Rob. That is exactly how you handle it. That's exactly how you handle it. And uh, I just repeated everything you said because Stevie is so perfect at saying words, but (laughs) it's true. Um, so the last one, and the reason, again, we chose these like couple ones is because this is what we see, like, and it's often framed as like Stan language. Yeah, exactly. There's like a, a weird overlap there where it's, it's become viewed as very associated with like Stan culture and exactly. Um, and the last one is period with a T. Um, don't do that. Mm -mm. 
Um, it's not for you, sister. Sister. It's not for you. Yeah. Not sis. Not sis. Not sis. Sister. Yep. Um, Girlfriend. Anything. Like, honestly, anything. how fun to come up with words that are, like, for you. Exactly. Like, how fun to go through, like, bring back, like, hot goss. Like, why not? Yeah. Like, how fun to, like, rebrand your own, like, way of speaking. Exactly. Um, probably the colonialism in white people. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, do have a, we do have a history of that, don't we? Taking things that aren't <laughs> ours. I'm joking. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Again, this is us calling you in. This is not calling you in. This is not acting like we're, you know, perfect because we are not. We are still learning ourselves. But, you know, we are doing this because we want everyone to be better. So a couple of things that we can also recommend some art, some articles, um, some books, Mm -hmm. and then um, follow at No White Saviors on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's a good account. The book that we mentioned earlier, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Um, Another one is Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad. Um, Some articles are How White Women Use Themselves as Instruments of Terror by Charles M. Blow. And like we will link all of these obviously Mm -hmm. in the thread. Um, But if you wanted to just look them up, you could do that too. Five Ways White Feminists Can Address Our Own Racism by Sarah Milstein. Why Our Feminism Must Be Intersectional and Three Ways to Practice It. And again, like we're doing this based off of both race and feminism because this is a podcast podcast. based in feminism and white women often are um, blind to our own racism Mm -hmm. whilst claiming to be feminists, which cannot work. Um, And that last one is by uh, Jaroon Yuujarin and Jamie Ut. Yep, that's perfect. And then I have um a few screenshots of like that ones that the Boise State Writing Center did that's just like everyday things that are indeed white privilege that might be useful to read through as well as Love it. um a little like chart of overt white supremacy that's socially unacceptable and then all of the w- covert white supremacy um that is socially acceptable like things that you might do on a daily basis that you might not realize if you want to include those as well love it yeah let's do it bitch this is our podcast what do you mean cool okay let's get into the, get episode, into the episode which honestly um cool. here we go sort of like sh- side shuffles up to that discussion perfectly yeah so the episode is uh erlenmeyer flask which i thought was gonna be some like really cool i didn't know what that was at first oh <laughs> so i thought it was gonna be like some cool like meaning but it's literally just like it's a the, flask the bottle, yeah it's like a gla- yeah me theater and english major has never excelled in science at all weirdly remember really vividly learning what the Erlenmeyer flask is. <laughs> I was like, so oh, interesting. that specifically shaped flask in chemistry. Like why, why that stuck in my brain? I don't know. Interesting. Anyways, this is the last season. This is the last season. I wish this was the last, ep- this is the last episode in the first season. What a journey. And wow, they really cram every single thing that you need to know to understand. I say that very lightly. The rest of the entire show one episode all in this episode the last two episodes nothing happened born again fucking what's his face Um, roland roland nothing happened in those episodes you could have sprinkled some of this in there jesus i think honestly they were all having a crisis over jillian anderson's pregnancy and (laughs) 
this was the episode where they finally settled on the trauma route. They were, (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. Um, So anyways, this episode starts with a police chase and these cars are flying through the air. Um, They are. Literally flying. It's truly wild. They, (laughs) wings pop out of the car. Um, (laughs) um, So the dude who's being chased goes to a shipping yard or a pier, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, or a harbor. Um, He gets cornered, gets out of the car. Police start beating him, but then he starts beating the shit out of the police. Uh, And as more officers approach, they just run at him with batons. Um, Batons, not guns. And then it's a taser. Yeah, uh, because I guess they they don't see a white man in a cable knit sweater uh, bludgeoning officers with batons as a threat. No. Uh, Anyway, so (laughs) as Stevie said, our fugitive gets tasered. Nothing happens. Doesn't phase him. He runs up the pier, um, and he gets or, like, shot in the back. Clamps. He's like, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> like, not right now. It's like, ooh, <laughs> ooh. Um, so he runs up the pier. He gets shot in the back by Jimmy Fallon, and then uh, he jumps into the water. Jimmy and he, <laughs> he looks like Jimmy Fallon, the he cop. Did. He did. Um, and uh jumps in the water disappears there's no blood no body surfaces nothing um the only thing that's left is some green goo on the pier yep uh have the opening credits it's the first word change first word change on the oh, at the end yeah really what does it say trust no one <laughs> i skipped past that what does it normally say the oh, truth yeah. is out there yeah interesting the first time that it changed because you know sometimes they put shit in german up there and like whatever that's what i thought but then yeah so every once in a while on like a hefty episode they'll put something new i always watch the theme song because i like to dance to it um anyways nice (laughs) so we have a sleeping molder um deep throat calls him tells him to watch channel eight asks him what he's wearing hangs up um i literally wrote god the sexual tension between deep throat and molder like late night phone you know it's in the name it's in the name you know it really is so molder turns on channel eight and then we have like a very snazzy play with editing where it takes us from the screen in molder's apartment to the screen in the fbi basement fun transition Um, very fun transition where him and scully are watching one part of the tape over and over and over again mm-hmm. and basically he's trying Mulder is trying to find why deep throat told him to turn on the tv mm-hmm. Mulder says the dude being chased wouldn't pull over for a moving violation um that's what started the chase in the first place scully calls deep throat this deep throat character <laughs> and that honestly sums up my feelings about him as well mm-hmm. um, <laughs> So this is where we get into this very odd, um, uh, what's the word? First person. What, it, what are all those called? First person, second person, third person. Point of view. I guess just grammatical point of view usage. Mm-hmm. That's very present throughout this episode. Oh, I wrote this Mulder, too. Yeah. Mulder says he wanted me to see something and Scully's like, fine, fuck you. You do the work for once. You're right. What are you missing? Mr. Fucking the body was facing the TV, so it had to be on. Yeah, figure it the fuck out then. God, golden. Um, oh, so that's the first time we hear that. It happens a lot in this. Chris episode. Carter, Chris Carter wrote this episode. It happens a lot in Chris Carter episodes. <laughs> exactly. 
So cut back to the pier, harbor, whatever. Um, the head cop um, says there were three law enforcement agencies out there the night before investigating the crime scene, um, the night that the Channel 8 broadcast was mm-hmm. happening. Uh, Mulder points out that one of the men from the video or the news broadcast wasn't wearing a badge or a uniform, and the cop is like, hmm, IDK, oh well. <laughs> and... <laughs> The cop is pretty sus of the FBI and Mulder and Scully and, and, and of Mulder and Scully's like, don't look at me, bitch. I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. It's something he has to find. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you want to do this for it. Um, and so Mulder and Scully go to the impound place where they look, where they took the fugitive's car, mm-hmm. but the car that's, that was impounded isn't the real car. Um, because Scully makes a note that there is no medical symbol on the impounded car, um, which there was on the fugitive's car, and that the plates are different. I took note here again that Scully says, you know, Mulder, I think we're wasting our time. And Mulder says, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to find. Yeah. Bro. It's, it's like very blatant. Yeah, it, because he puts emphasis on it, and it's said right after her. Oh, wait, sorry, one more thing. Um when he calls her over when he's like leaning against the car um she has a major pregnancy waddle like she can't like she's like shuffling over it's so cute that makes me really happy it's so cute okay um she like so, hops her off the car and has to like get momentum to go <laughs> that's so, so cute we'll have to so go back precious. and watch it because i want to show okay. you i rewound it a lot <laughs> you know on a five foot three woman it takes a lot to get some momentum. I know. Um, so they go to, I'm going to say MGEM, MGEN Corporation in Maryland to talk to the doctor whose name the car was registered under. This dude, he's testing on some monkeys and I hate this scene. Okay, I'll tell you what happened. So basically Scully's like <laughs> over near the monkey cages and she mm-hmm. like fucking puts her finger in one of the cages let me just Never say this. Cool. Let me just say the scene, and then okay. we'll we'll okay, roast okay, okay, it. Go ahead. We'll, we'll tear it. We'll shred it to pieces. Okay. <laughs> um, and of course the monkey fucking you know like comes at her, <laughs> <laughs> sc- screeches. <laughs> and she's, like, oh. <laughs> she's like, "You're not Harambe." <laughs> I get Harambe and Coney 2012 mixed up in my head a lot. Oh, dear God. Like, those are two in the same things in my brain. They, they have the same energy. Don't they? Yeah. So, anyways, so, yeah, of course, the monkey, you know, jumps at, leaps at her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, like, backs up and she's scared. And the doctor yells at her. And I oh, hate. And then Mulder's just like, you know, mm-hmm. so, like, what's up? And I hate that he's portrayed again as like the cool calm and collected fbi man and scully is like the little silly sidekick who thought monkeys being held in a cage would be friendly it's so frustrating so it's like yeah like yell at her doc put her in her place reprimand her because she's like has such girly naivete and it's like the whole time i wrote like sometimes i get really really sad seeing her stand in the back like not knowing what to do with her hands like where like not wanting to take up too much space and then i remember this becomes her fucking show and then i feel a little better that's i love that yeah you're right but right now it's it's just really palpable in season 1 especially when she's really pregnant because she doesn't want to take up space on set because they were all making her feel like shit for being a woman maybe we should talk about that for Jillian's corner 
Ooh. So the doctor is being ultra sus, like very suspicious, and says he's working on an experiment. Is sus A-A-V-E? Ooh. Let's look it up, listeners. I know it's just an oh, it just has a abbrevi- Oh, it says abbreviation for Susanna. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it is. No? Okay. So yeah, doctor's being weird. Um, he says he's working on an experiment, but he won't say anything else. Okay. He says that his housekeeper uses his car sometimes, but he doesn't seem too concerned that not only the car was missing, but it was stolen and that it was used in a high-speed fugitive chase. (laughs) And I just have to ask, like, do people really, are people really this oblivious to how suspicious they look? I know. It's just bad acting. Like, fuck. True. So, um. (laughs) Because they are. Um, so then we have a scene outside of that doctor's lab, uh, where Scully basically says, um, you know, they're talking about Deep Throat, Mulder and Scully, and Scully says, I think that, you know, Deep Throat is leading you on, and how do you even know he's telling the truth? And, uh, Scully says, I think he likes it. And uh, Mulder says, you think he gets off on telling me all this stuff? And she says, no, Mulder, I think you get off on this. And she's fucking And then she very dramatically walks into the bathroom. Um, It's just... She's right. She's right. And of course, we've said this a thousand times. Her being correct is just presented as an obstacle for Mulder to overcome. Yeah. He tells her to do something and, and... he tells her to do something and she and their investigation is punished because she has the audacity to say no because she doesn't have blind faith in Mulder, which considering your later point, I won't jump the gun, but oh, oh boy, she's punished for not having blind faith in these men. And so here's the thing, right? At first I was like, you know, hear me out. Listen, people talk about the scene from ice, you know, that scene like maybe they'll mention the kiss from like the truth or like more mundane moments like you know agent scully is already in love or mm. the way Mulder looks like he's gonna if i did not write that what did you write <laughs> keep going people will talk about you know you know an enemy at the end when uh Say it. Mold, you know, after she comes back, after Scully comes back, and you know, Mulder's standing in the doorway, and uh, my throat just got so dry. Please just say it. Uh, and Mulder Please. looks at her like he's gonna make her ass five shades of red. You know, those are typically seen as the hottest scenes between them. But no, no, this is this. Hot. This is the hottest scene in the entire show. Good night. Show's over. Yep. And then I also just want to say, like, to in this moment, Scully says, like, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, we're going off of the tiniest hunch, which, like, weird line of plot choice for Scully, who literally just solved a case because she went off of a man's hunch as well as her own hunch. But We love consistency, right? Yeah, we'll, we move. Um, and it's just, like, thinking realistically here... How the fuck does Mulder expect her to trust this man with a nickname com- made up by a prepubescent boy who has admittedly lied to them before? She's never fucking met or spoken to him. Because she's a woman she's just supposed to follow? 
Like, how yeah. dare she question not only one but two man's judgment, men's judgment, whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear you. I hear it's you. just. I, um, but yeah, Scully's like, I almost just got bit by a monkey, all because some man is toying with you with your lust for the truth because you get off on chasing things in the dark. Like, oh, that's sexy. That's so hot. Um, but then I was like, no, feminist killjoy hour. Yeah. But the double T, um, <laughs> two T's. <laughs> Remember this, listener, her bold admission she's being extraordinarily bold here extraordinarily bold her bold admission of her true feelings only serves this plot in order to put more knives in Mulder's back like to make Mulder more of a fallen and berated soldier of the truth Mm. because then that makes his triumph all the more grand when even his partner dismissed him to begin with and she will be reined in for it this episode made me so mad. I don't know if it was the fact that I watched this like in the middle of the night last night and like I was just like raging, but I truly was so furious the entire time. Yeah. So then Mulder goes home. Uh, as he pulls up to his apartment building, Deep Throat fucking pops out of nowhere. Mulder actually listens to Scully and tells Deep Throat to stop jerking him off. But then, of course, Deep Throat is like, why why past emily did you role play this scene <laughs> you gotta keep going please can i just send it to you do i have to say it out loud you want me to say it <laughs> yes yeah, send it to me i'll read it emily's embarrassed that she wrote a note so i'm gonna read it for you now yeah i don't really like viewing Mulder in a sexual way because um he's a professional man um, and those two things don't really click in my head. That's really I don't understand how a man can be sexual and also professional. I know, right? I don't get it. So, um, and also be taken seriously. So, okay. So this is, this is Emily's note. So Mulder actually listens to Scully and tells Deep Throat to stop jerking him off. But then of course, Deep Throat is like, baby, I know you like it this way. You've never been closer. Which is actually what he says, by the way. That's actually what he says. I know, but in this context. <laughs> I'm bright red. <laughs> it's almost over. Come on. Just do the last part. <laughs> Baby, I know you like it this way. You've never been closer. Keep going. So, of course, Mulder is like, shrug shoulders. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I was just saying it's really funny that Mulder and Scully were just joking about Deep Throat getting off on something. And then Deep Throat is like, you've never been closer. Literally. It's just overheating. Because <laughs> I can oh same. I can picture it. I don't Yeah. Okay. You can picture Mulder in, a, in that I can't. scenario, really? I can't. Weird. Because I can too. That's so weird. <gasps> Well, because people think Mulder's bi. I am one of those people. Yeah, so the, I, the, like when I say sexual tension between them, I'm not really joking. Like there's truly, there is tension between them and like sex is, is connected to power. And so any kind of like powerful tensions are going to read as sexual. So it's not mm. even fully a joke. Actually, do I think that Mulder I think Scully is bisexual, but I don't know about Mulder. Mm, I guess I do. I do. 
I do. I don't know. We've thought. Yeah, I haven't like thought about it critically, but he definitely has sexual tension with Deep Throat. Like that's not even a joke. And with Crycheck. Yeah. Maybe he is. I don't know. Anyways, Anyways but I, I thought it was interesting for another day. that Mulder's relationship to Deep Throat parallels what is what is originally intended to be Scully's relationship to Mulder. Something that requires blind faith. Totally. And when totally, yeah, and then when the submissive party questions legitimacy, they're punished for it. And so it's like Scully doing that to Mulder, and then Mulder doing it to Deep Throat. Oh my God, that's so smart. Right? You're so smart. No, you are because you just had me have a realization about sexual tension. So thank you. No, that's incredible. Wow. That's so true. So the then cut to the police calling off the search for the body in the water and they just accept the fact that he's probably become a lake monster. (laughs) Um, But then (laughs) Fugitive's little gummy head pops out of the water. (laughs) Of course. Gummy head. And that shot parallels um, the last shot of the whole series. I don't know if that was intended. of the whole series. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> His gummy head popping up. <laughs> so then, some sketchy man goes to the doctor, whose name we don't find out for quite some time. Um, and but he has he's got a fun name. So oh, it's it's coming up soon. Okay, cool. You've never been just closer. having a conversation with myself. We've never been closer um maybe that's the name of the episode you've never been closer babe then some sketchy man goes to dr baruby i'll just say it how fun Mm. um who's the monkey doctor Mm. and says your work is done and kills him (laughs) uh Mulder and scully are on the scene the next day and scully is saying that it's been ruled a suicide but of course our spooky babies do not buy that um and then I made a note of myself for myself to to get a screenshot of Mulder saying I would have never pegged him. <laughs> Maybe the title of this episode is Mulder is bisexual and like that's the title. Yeah, like, that'd be great. Scully basically says that um, Baruby was on a human genome project, which. <laughs> which he mansplains to her as saying that it's a mapping of all human genes, blah, 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 blah. Mulder then says that he thinks that there's some connection between that and his car and his death. Of course he does. Um, <laughs> Mr. The, the way the body was positioned. Mr. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I hate that Scully is still being treated as a sidekick doctor whose talents are only being used when they're needed and not as an equal partner in the investigation yep. of this case yep. who is equally determined to find the truth. And again, Mulder is still using me and I statements regularly yeah. asking her to do things for him instead of recognizing her equal driving commitment. And it feels like he's begging his mom to let him stay out after curfew and Literally, she gives in every time. That's such a good analogy for it. That's exactly what it is. Um, it's like- and the th- Chris Carter does not know what the word partner means. No, he doesn't, which is very rich from someone who like insists on the fact that that is the, that is the like golden child of the show. Is that is, their, is their partnership? Is it that they're um, professional? And I'm like, well, if you're at least going to not let them fuck because you're making them be professional, at least give her equal authority. Exactly. Exactly. And so that whole 
thought that I had was, was prompted because Mulder asks Scully to check out what a liquid in one of the um, Erlenmeyer flasks in Dr. Bruby's office it, uh, contains. Mm-hmm. Scully says, if it's monkey pee, I'm going to kill you. Um, Scully's got jokes. She's so cute. I mean, hey, if the FBI doesn't work out, this girl's got a full career in stand-up. <laughs> so, and then I said, if this, <laughs> if this is monkey pee. <laughs> so what about, you know, what about, what about, what about men who take away your autonomy and like hold your ova from you? Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? And then I said, Mulder, that's my ova. What are you doing with my ova? Then she does like, make this, this little, shit like, up. you know. That was Arlene's butt. <laughs> <laughs> so we follow Mulder's lone storyline as he solves the case for the second time in this episode. <sighs> he goes to Barubi's house where he proceeds to break in. I know. Um, then we go back to Scully, a very pregnant Jillian Anderson. That and they don't even hide. That they don't even hide at all. And a very smart lady. Another smart lady. I have a lot of notes about this woman. And I just want to say, like, look up pregnant professional professional wear etiquette. Um, uh, this is not it. No. They literally dress Jillian in a, a vest, which I love. I do love the vest. But it has one button right above her abdomen. You're highlighting her stomach at this point. With a white shirt underneath it. It was just, it's just sad because it shows the lack of effort made to accommodate her. Totally. It's just not allowing her to take up space in a comfortable way at all. All all the way down to her costuming. Exactly. And it's also like, I find it very hard to believe that like what should have happened with Jillian was like, they should have been um, dressing her and being like, how do you feel? Does this feel comfortable? Do you feel like it's hidden enough? You know? Whereas, like, I can't even imagine her looking her looking at herself in the mirror, seeing that her bump is very, very visible, and then having to go on set and one act as a non-pregnant woman, a Literally very perform. non-pregnant yeah. woman, and two do a job and not be sidetracked by the fact that she's causing everyone an issue by being pregnant. And she still outacts David at every step of the way. All that considering. Yes. Yep. So Scully and um, the very smart bacteria lady are analyzing the liquid, aka the monkey pee, which turns out to be weirdly shaped bacteria. Mm-hmm. But I said, hey, don't body shame the bacteria. <laughs> um, <laughs> so cut back to Mulder at Barubi's house that he broke into, mm. by the way. Um, the fugitive calls him thinking that it's Barubi from a payphone saying he needs help. He's been in the water for three days. He's all pruned up. But the dude who killed Barubi pulls up in a literal kidnap van and listens to Mulder's call, which like such a rookie move, my guy. Like, you know, do I even have to say it? <laughs> really? I know. So fugitive pruny boy keels over at the payphone and some man picks up the phone and is like, listen, man, he's hurt. I need to call an ambulance. As Mulder is screaming, asking where they are. And then the guy just hangs up. I know. It would have taken five seconds to say where they were. And the guy was like, no. Mulder's like, where are you? He's like, 
this guy's this guy's hurting, man. I gotta go. He's like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> so Jesus Christ. Mulder gets the location of the number of a number that he found in Baruby's desk mm-hmm. from a friend. And he notices the van fucking finally. Um, and the location is a storage facility called Zeus Storage. The guy's out there with a fucking blow dryer with a diffuser on the end pointed at the window, like leaning out. And this no attempt. He has, at he has a whole ceiling. cable, a whole cable thing, disc, dish. A giant headset, like. And. Like, that's the thing, too. It's, like, I feel like neighbors <laughs> don't exist in X-Files world. No, definitely not. Like, if I Pedestrians, saw someone... Pedestrians, no. Uh, no. If I saw someone pull outside of my neighbor's house and put an entire cable dish outside of the window... Point it like, hmm, at the window with headphones on. Maybe what we should go check doing? that out. <laughs> so, yeah. Cut to the ambulance. Prune boy is now blue. Um, He's got a pneumothorax, which... I had two. I don't want to brag, but like complete pneumothorax. Sisters. Look at you guys. Um, (laughs) They poke him (laughs) because basically what happens with the pneumothorax is all of the air in your lung escapes and your lung shrinks down to this little size. And so in order to get all the oxygen out, I had to have a chest tube, but these people just poked a hole in this man. Oof. Which, like, now that I'm thinking about it, like, if that actually worked, why didn't they just do that with me? With, like, a needle? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's only, like, in, in emergency situations when they don't have all the equipment because it's, it's less safe. True. Maybe. I'm guessing. I know nothing about hospital medicine. So they poke him, and that emits some sort of gas that literally kills everyone in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Prune juice escapes the ambulance. He runs away. He, he's got his nice cable knit sweater back. <laughs> Scully calls Mulder, tells him some very smart science stuff, and says essentially that Baruby was cloning shit to then inject it into something living, and that he was that's called gene therapy, mm-hmm. what he was doing. Um <laughs> and so I just made a note here that I really felt like this episode was going to be pivotal for the rest of the entire show. So I was really paying attention. But then I remembered it's the X-Files and continuity is about as unlikely as Scully being at an orgy. So (laughs) be kind to me, please. (laughs) So they hang up. Mulder's like in his own world again. And um, he just says, you know, keep up the good work. Good job, babe. Gotta go save the world now. Whatever. Mulder goes into the Zeus place his friend told him about, and he finds Baruby's storage locker with a bunch of bodies inside these tanks attached to computers and all these wires. And they're all naked. They're all naked boys. Cut back to Georgetown University where Scully is sleeping on a couch. No, she's cradling her stomach too. And I'm like, (laughs) which I love this for our little pregnant baby girl because thank God she got to lay down. Holy shit. Um, These, I cannot focus because all I think about in these episodes is her looking like a baby, (laughs) knowing she's about to have a baby. And it's just like Jillian's come so far and like gives me so much hope. Women are so amazing. Okay. All right. Don't look at me. Well, I was going to say that she looks like a literal painting, 
Oh, she does. And like her hip is jutting out like so perfectly and so angelically. And I just want to kiss it so badly. Mm. <laughs> and I also love her shirt that I can now see properly because I'm not staring at her stomach. Yep. Um, it's almost like it has like this Victorian um, mm. like cavalier cuff oh, with like the buttons that go all the way up. Yeah. And wow, that is like my sapphic heart was just pumping she looks hard beautiful. for this scene. Um, so the bacteria lady wakes up Scully. She says there's something funky about this DNA and it's something that exists nowhere in nature and therefore by definition is extraterrestrial. So this doctor is an incredible actress because 99% of the time when these men are given crucial lines and scenes that explain plot and progress of the show, I have no fucking clue what they're saying because yep. these act because the actors clearly have no idea what they're saying. But this wonderful <laughs> woman with beautiful eyebrows delivers this bit so clearly. It is so fucking refreshing. Um, and then also I would like to say too, like Jillian absolutely also had no idea what she was saying and yet was able to deliver it with the same amount of, uh, beauty and cadence and deliverance as this woman. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the power of women. Yep. The power of (laughs) insert Nicole Kidman gif. Yeah. So Mulder's leaving the storage facility and these men pull up and start chasing him or he thinks he hops over the fence they're not chasing him anymore he goes home scully calls him to tell him about the bacteria and he's like babe how soon can you be here she's like i'm on my way cut to the next morning i wrote in all caps let's get into it (laughs) that was even better than the first time (laughs) he takes her to the zoo storage facility and Take it away, Kappa. Finally, let's talk about female martyrism. I wish we could just play this part, but Fox is um, uh, filled with a bunch of assholes, so it would definitely get taken down. So I'll just do it. Scully gets out of the car, chases down Mulder. Let's make her chase him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She says, I just wanted to say that I was wrong. Mulder says, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Scully says, no, if you'd have listened to me, we wouldn't be here right now. I should know by now to trust your instincts. And Mulder says, why? Nobody else does. And then Scully says, you know, I've always held science as sacred. I've always put my trust in the accepted facts. And what I saw last night, for the first time in my life, I don't know what to believe. And then David Duchovny delivers probably the worst line of acting I've ever heard in my life. He says, well, whatever it is you do believe, Scully, when you walk into that room, nothing sacred will hold. P.U. Stinky. (laughs) P.U. Stinky, stinky, man. Stinky stew. (laughs) All right. So here we go. Um, So this whole scene never sat right with me ever whenever I thought about it whenever I watched it and it always made me think about or at least gave me like an interest in the self-sacrificial way in which Scully presents herself here Mm -hmm. um and so as I was looking up like female martyrism the way in which women are presented as self-sacrificial in media all of that um 
I started to get into some similarities between um, the way that Scully is written and the way that she's portrayed and the female martyrs in the Bible. Get ready, um, listeners. So earlier when we were talking about how I made you remember that I said that Scully spoke extraordinarily bold, that is a direct description of the female martyrs in the Bible. So Scully was able to speak boldly and she was forced then to unflinchingly testify her wrongdoing in front of Mulder as these female martyrs were forced to unflinchingly testify their wrongdoing in front of Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's straight out of the Bible. And it's not the first time Mulder is likened to Christ. It's not the last time. And so I just kept asking myself, why does Scully have to serve her wrongdoing or her actions to Mulder and kill a part of herself in order to have her voice heard, to have her voice magnified? The suffering that she endures magnif- is what magnifies her voice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is a direct correlation to the biblical female martyrs. Paramount in their sacrifice is their suffering and in turn the louder their angst, the higher their voices were amplified. And that's the exact same thing with Scully. Wow. Um, and so I, I just kept asking, you know, why did why does Scully apologize here? Why is this like self, self-sacrifice fetishized in a way? It's like very like on a platter. Mm. And it just goes back to like Scully existing where – she lives in the knowing reality that she will have to express her wrongdoing, express her misstep in front of Christ, <laughs> Mulder, that he will forgive her, but then she will endure suffering that's still to come. So, which is all the suffering that she does in season two. And so the fact that this is ending season one is very fitting. And I would say the height of Scully's suffering starts in season two um, is also very fitting. And so, in let me just explain. So in the Bible, these female martyrs, um, essentially most of them, um, all four of them, refuse to um, turn away from their Christian faith, and in turn were killed for it. Before they were killed for it, they were forced to express their wrongdoing to Christ, knowing that He would forgive them, knowing He would forgive them, and knowing that the suffering that they would endure was to come. Mm-hmm because they were going to be killed. And so that framework is, is essentially exactly what Scully follows in this, in this one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the quote from this article was that these women um, express their wrongdoings, quote, knowing that intense physical torture would be the outcome of their truthful, fearless admission. What's the end? Which is exactly what Scully goes through. And like, I'm not religious, so I don't really know. It's like, and I don't know much about religion. What is the point of that? Like, what purpose do these martyr women serve for Christ? Just to validate him? Or what is, what's the point of their, like, contribution to the biblical story? Yeah, so, like, I'll get into that more later. But it's essentially because in their faith, they um, believe, it's, it's their conviction in resurrection. So they don't fear death, um, which I'll get into more later. But um it's, it's even more strange when you consider that these women were killed because they refused to turn away from their Christian faith, which is what Scully refuses to do and is struggling to do in the form of partly her faith, partly her science. Mm-hmm. But either way, 
the, the temptation to deter from suffering is so grand and so in turn to deflect from her personal belief in science as sacred um, as she is tested by these unexplainable truths, but she never does. And it is her rational that hurts her the most. And it is her devotion to Christ that causes her the most suffering, her devotion to Mulder that causes her the most suffering. Um, this isn't translating well, talking about no, it, it. No, it is. Okay, no, it fully is. It makes more sense when you obviously write it down. No, no, but, it um, translates perfectly. I've just had time to sit with it because when Emily made this discovery, um, <laughs> I literally had to go to my garage to scream because I didn't know how else to process because like, it's just so fucked that like, it just, like, I have no words other than the fact that it's yucky that mold, they're like molders Jesus. Yeah, Get the fuck literally. Up. Get off your goddamn pedestal. Jesus Christ. Not Gigi. And Christ. so, yep, she's made the skeptic and she's punished for it. Yeah. And her voice is magnified in her suffering. And so, to apply that to this, it's like women are only given agency and autonomy in their suffering by these male writers. Yep. Um, she wants to stick to what she sticks to what she believes and she's punished for it. She refuses to denounce her faith and her science and she's tortured for it. Um, as these women in the Bible refused to denounce their faith and they were killed for it. Um, and so when we, and then also when we find that we find that st the strength of Scully is not through her autonomy, but through her suffering. Mm -hmm. um, like one of the female martyrs, Blandina, who was tortured in the Bible for not recanting her faith and a historian who witnessed her, her death um, said, quote, Blandina was filled with such power as to be delivered and raised above those who were torturing her by turns from morning till evening in every manner. They were astonished at her endurance as her body, as her entire body was mangled and broken. But the bless, the blessed woman, like a noble athlete, renewed her strength in her confession, exclaiming, I am a Christian. This is Scully's story. Like, this is Scully's story. It just gets into the feminist narrative of the strong woman mm -hmm. that one as as a woman who must suffer to be revered mm -hmm. right yeah. and like women are are needlessly tortured they're needlessly traumatized and then they are revered in their ability to persevere through that just another thing I'm is finished. like blendina's um suffering was quote or quote inspired the combatants with great zeal which essentially just means that, like she inspired others to not recant their faith wow um, despite their despite the suffering that she went through which is like the whole um false feminist narrative of the strong woman that like you know that's so interesting because she absolutely inspires generations of women but it's like exactly. what are we admiring the way that she was I mean, I mean, like needlessly it, tortured. Yeah, because here's the thing. Like, it, I think it is a fair thing to admire women that have persevered because so many women know what it feels like to suffer in, in so many different ways and to be traumatized. And so it makes sense that you look for these women who have persevered as like beacons of light to help you get out of that place. Right. But it, it, it gets to like the point where I think it's it's fetishized and um well, like well idealized even, or or maybe like a, a necessity even and not even that part not even that far it's like the trauma was the trauma even necessary in the first place yeah 
it's traumas that could have been prevented. Mm-hmm. It's traumas at the hands of violent men. Yeah. Like it, it establishes this normalcy that men will be violent. So let's celebrate women for persevering through that. Yeah. Which is fucked. That is fucked. Just something else is like this correlates with Chris Carter's belief that women are made three-dimensional through violence of men and mm-hmm. through their fear and through their ability to persevere through the suffering, which is literally what he said about was his intention in the episode in season um, three two. called two mm-hmm. irresistible. irresistible. Yeah. Okay. In season two called irresistible, um, which is literally about a man who kills women. Um, and Chris Carter was essentially playing on Scully's fear of men and said that that mm. was something that ex- that exposed another side of her. It's ridiculous. Trauma is not the only tool to make a female complex. Exactly. I don't. And it just made me wonder if, like, when Emily was sending me these voice memos, it made me think, like, can female characters really be written autonomously by men? Like, I, like, I mean that as a really serious question because existing in a patriarchal society that filters the, the female perception through the male gaze always, no matter how pure the intentions of the male writer are, the character is still going to be a male projection. Like, mm-hmm. it's still going to be false. It's still going to be false because she's still going to be lacking autonomy in some way, which is why I think that it's important to have women in the writer's room and, and it's important to have women consulting on scripts and to give actresses some say in the creation of these characters, especially the ones that are created by men, because this all-male writer's room and all-male production team can never, even if they're genuinely trying to do a good equitable job, which they weren't, um, but they could never succeed in creating an accurate, fully autonomous female character. Like, they just can't through because it's going to be filtered through their male gaze always. And so to answer your question, like, I don't think that that's possible. Just as I can very, 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 very confidently say that a white writer will never be able to accurately write a non-white character. Yep. Um, Because no white person will ever know the experience of being Black, of being Asian, of being Mm -hmm. um, Latinx. Like, they won't. And I want to be careful because I don't want to, I'm not saying that I think that men should write scripts with only men in them. And that white writers should write scripts with only white people. It's just it's broadening mm. your your team of writers and, and exactly. having people come in on the story when you need other percep. Um, pers- well, that just that just goes down to like men thinking that like if they can't do it, then it can't be done. Yeah, like absolutely. naturally, if you don't have the experience of something, you invite people who do. Mm-hmm. But that's such a male lens to be like well if i can't write it then it's not being written Mm -hmm. and then just to go back to that like we won't to the female martyrs and like the similarities it's like we won't even talk about how these female martyrs also saw visions in their suffering like scully in lazarus scully sees um a vision of the man who died Mm -hmm. in her ex-boyfriend um in that episode, she's also being held hostage. She's also been beaten. She's also been tied to a radiator, which one of the women who has a vision in the Bible was actually imprisoned when she had the vision. Wow. So that's a very weird comparison. That happens again in, in Irresistible when she's looking at Donnie Faster. She sees his face morph while she's tied up in the fucking closet. Yeah. Um, and then also in Beyond the Sea when she sees her dad. Yeah. 
the thing that kind of tied this all together, which Stevie like brought up a little bit earlier, which oh, is sorry, just I like no, it's okay. Um, Scully embodies a lot of like dichotomies. Mm-hmm. She embodies a lot of like simultaneously contradicting things. I think like in her boldness, she's also made to be very modest. Um, she's able to be a skeptic in the face of a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, these female martyrs embodied those similar dualities where um, in the Bible, they were able to have those two, they were able to exist in both those ways because those two parts were held together by their devotion to Christ. Um, in this case, in her devotion to Mulder, she's able to remain rational she's able to remain sane she's able to remain herself mm-hmm. um and then in their conviction regarding the resurrection of the body and scully is christian so presumably she believes in resurrection mm-hmm. um and in this article the author said quote it is for this resurrection truth that they boldly that the female martyrs boldly speak and willingly die for death has no real hold over them and in season three, we find out that Scully is in fact immortal, and so death would have no hold over her. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's it. That's thesis material, writing about how she's actually a female martyr. Yeah, I hope that I like explained it well. You did Again, absolutely. It's like easier to like do that in text because like quoting stuff and like all of that. But... No, no, no. That was so clear. Don't. It was literally that okay. was so clear. Ultimately. <laughs> This episode embodies this because earlier on when Scully speaks boldly, um, this scene serves as um, her force to unflinchingly testify her wrongdoing in front of Mulder in the way that the female martyrs were forced to do that in front of Christ. Yeah. Um, Before they endure suffering and torture, which is exactly this moment right before season two when Scully is forced to endure suffering, suffering and torture. It's so fucked up. That's it. Like, it's so fucked up. Like, why does Mulder have to be this fucking tragic? Like, why? Why? Like, what's the purpose? The story of Jesus has already been told. Why do we need to see? Like, why? You're not doing anything revolutionary by doing that. It's nothing. This isn't an interesting spin on it. I don't understand. Because you cut men and they bleed audacity. And Chris Carter really felt like it was, uh, he really chose to take it upon himself to rewrite the Bible god it's like he's this or retell it at least yeah he's this like male fantasy of the tragic hero that's doubted because like this is so chris carter fucking projecting he's like oh he's doubted because he's so smart and all knowing knowing and loyal and and um but in the end he comes in to save the day always and like i know god complex is a thing but this is a fucking jesus complex like alexa play phoebe bridger's savior complex (laughs) god yeah seriously um so Mulder and Scully anyways back to the plot Mm -hmm. Mulder and Scully go into the storage facility and of course the tanks are gone Mm -hmm. Deep Throat comes in and says essentially people destroy shit and of course we see again Mulder being shown just enough to maintain his belief but not enough to prove it to anyone else but him it's a little sexy that he believes Scully but not Deep Throat for fucking once yeah um but uh (laughs) Deep Throat basically tells them that Dr. Barubi was conducting human experiments with extraterrestrial viruses and that they were too successful. He ended up creating the first human-alien hybrid 
And that fugitive man is one of the six terminally ill patients who was experimented on. And when they were given ET therapy, extraterrestrial gene, gene, yeah, mm-hmm. extraterrestrial gene therapy, um, they all began to recover from whatever terminal illness they had. Deep Throat says that all Mulder and Scully can do now is get all of the evidence together that they can and find the fugitive man before the government does. He treats so, Scully like shit this whole scene. Yeah, it's just honestly frustrating at this point. Yeah. Like, and again, like going back to just like the complexity of Jillian's size, I don't know that them picking a woman who was Mulder's height or who was... Um, able to physically match up to the men in the room would have had the same impact for what the writers were attempting to accomplish in wanting Scully to fade into the background in a lot of these episodes. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, that's exactly why he he picked somebody that he thought looked quote-unquote mousy. And um, the reason I I say that too, like that I brought that up is because I just read a quote from Frank Spotnitz too, who's one of the writers. um, And he pointed out Jillian's size in a scene that had nothing to do with the size of them. Not great. Um, So Scully goes back to Georgetown to get the lab reports that her and Dr. Carpenter, the other female doctor were working on. Mm -hmm. The doctors there tell Scully that, here we go. She was in a terrible car accident and died. And uh, I really feel like this woman was kind of like the snowball for every other woman that Chris Carter kills or tortures in the series oh, yeah. um, to simply serve the plot. Absolutely. It's, it's just no thought or um, conscience for life, for female life specifically. Yeah. And it's just like, it's a throwaway line. Like it's one line that they give this woman who propelled the plot with her research. Exactly. And it's just, I don't give two fucks about Skinner or Deep Throat or CSM. Like, I want to know about this woman. Like, yep. and there are so many women like her on this show that are introduced just to become casualties to this stupid, in this stupid war between privileged man and privileged man. Like, yep. and there's this thing in, in, um, in script writing where you're advised to have a consistent, um, to give a consistent weight to death. Right. So like in some shows like big action movies, death isn't really a big deal. Like there's lots of casualties that are just left unexplored, like on the streets when things blow up or whatever. Um, but in sh- some shows, it's taken very seriously so that like the that any death or the threat of death um, is enough to build a whole story arc around. And this show that begins its framing completely around a missing little girl needs to take specifically female death more seriously. If we were to even fucking care about Samantha, which is supposed to be this, the, what the driving force of the show yeah which is probably why that plot becomes very tiresome because it becomes centered around Mulder. exactly it, that's exactly it it's that because it was never about samantha to begin with it was about Mulder. so Mulder goes to find the fugitive man and he's at dr baruby's house he finds fugitive man in the attic and he's killed he gets shot in the back of the head um, and the green gas that oozes from him burns Mulder's sockets in his face. The makeup's um, gnarly. Yeah, it's really gross. But then the, the two men who shot Fugitive Man tie Mulder up and they hold him hostage. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're the same men who killed Dr. Baruvi. 
Um, so cut to Scully in the cutest fucking suit ever. She's wearing an ash gray two-piece suit, which I would buy in a heartbeat if I had the chance. Oh, yeah. Um, she's wearing like a sage ribbed top and a brown belt. So hot. Shoulder she pads. so good. Shoulder pads. Oh, boy. So she's at Mulder's apartment building and Deep Throat comes out of nowhere again and says he's not home. He tells her that he's going to sneak her into a place where they have tissue to give the bad guys in exchange for her boyfriend. (laughs) So she gets into the place and holy shit, the characterization that Scully would be horrible in fake situations and in pretending like she belongs somewhere where she doesn't uh, fit in is spot on. She's like, oopsie, I hope I don't get caught. And it's like, sounds like a girl who's used to wanting to get caught. <laughs> yeah, you're 100% right. Um, so Scully gets into the main facility um, where the tissue's being held. She opens a container labeled purity control, and it's some fucking Sour Patch Kid in a cylinder of nitrogen. That's it. <laughs> Sour Patch Kid. that's so funny my biggest note from this scene was that hey david this is how you act like you're actually working things out in your head and like doing investigative work like when she like i love seeing her do sneaky smart things and her coming up with passwords off the top of her head well it's like chris carter telling or writing or implying to david that Mulder just always knew the answer to everything was this show's biggest downfall oh yeah so then Scully's on a bridge. Deep Throat pulls up behind her. She walks over with a box, presumably with the Sour Patch Kid in it. Um, her and Deep Throat argue for a bit, and Scully really says, I don't know if Mulder's life is worth more than a lot of other people's lives, which is really funny. I know. Well, it's true. It's so true. And it's like, like, that's why I get so frustrated when people are like, they were in love in the first season. No, they were not. No, it it wasn't quite there yet. Scully just didn't want to fucking die. Yeah, of course. And she actually cared about people. And like, I think this show created a whole generation of (laughs) anti-vaxxers. Totally. I bet. Inoculations and shit. I bet. Um... So she gives Deep Throat the parcel and then she gets back into her car. The bad guy pulls up uh, to Deep Throat's car. Kill Deep Throat. Dump Mulder out of the back like he's a sack of potatoes. Um, Scully goes to check on Deep Throat and his dying words are, trust no one. The episode is still not over. Wait, can I say one thing before you move on? Yeah. Is that it's one trust no one being choked out while he's about to die is a bit contrived (laughs) but i'm so happy that it's scully that's there to hear it because in this moment both men are down she's the only one still on her feet and that's not intended to be symbolic but it is but it is um so 13 days later in dc scully's asleep and (laughs) (laughs) she wakes up but she looks like she's just been woken up by someone between her legs (laughs) But um, unfortunately, it's not true because I was sitting here and Mulder calls her. (laughs) So he calls her to tell her that they're shutting down the X-Files and they're being reassigned. But um, he says he's not going to give up. So thank God. I don't think I've ever been in that deep of a sleep at 11.22 p.m. First of all, (laughs) Scully 100% is in bed by 8 p.m. You're correct. 
Um, yeah. And then the way that David says Skinner is... <laughs> it was really funny it's i think that is my take on the worst acting he's ever done in his life is is that phone call scully says like who 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 and david just goes skinner Skinner. like an eight-year-old throwing a fit throws his little head stamps his foot jesus yeah so then cut to cigarette smoking man who looks suspiciously like Peter Morgan, and that is all I will say. He locks up the jelly baby in the basement <laughs> of, baby. of the government. <laughs> Whatever. That's it. That's the end of the episode and the end of season one. The end of season one. I can't believe we're done with season one. I, can't I remember we're done with season one being either. on season two or being on episode two and feeling like this was never going to end. I know because I feel like once you get through after her abduction, then it flies. Totally. Because some of these episodes are really painful to watch. But you truly cracked the show in one season, so I don't know where else we're going to go from here. We know. No, truly. Sure. Like I. Like the way, I just, I can't articulate to you how much that blew my mind because it didn't seem like it now because you had told me already, but like, I just, you're so brilliant. Your mind is beautiful. Thank you. So is yours. Thank you. So for this Jillian's Corner, we're going to do, we're going to do Okay Stop again and we're going to do what's called Jillian Anderson's self-portrait. I don't even want to get into what goes through my head, but I can look in the mirror. I seem to go, oh shit, I'm getting older. We all feel that somehow we're exempt and it's not going to happen to us. And when okay, stop. start to change. Um, this woman's face is so, like perfect. It's perfect. Like this is exactly how she deserves to be shot in just every, like, like this is how people who get to look at her face, like, and just look at her face, like when mm-hmm. they talk to her, mm-hmm. How does it feel to be God's favorite? That's all I have to say. <laughs> like, truly, how does it feel to be the universe's favorite person? It's so true. And it's like- Not even, not even being her. Just get, how does it feel to be the chosen one that you get to look at her? All the time. All the time. The thing is, is that like her hair is a mess. Her makeup is probably from yesterday. Like her hair is a mess. And she's still her hair's so a mess. good. She's wearing a turtleneck- under another sweater. <laughs> it looks like she just woke up and came over. Yep. And looks so good. This is actually infuriating. Okay, ready? Yeah. Okay, three, two, one, go. Changing skin texture starts to change. Um, it, I find it almost confounding. You've got to be kidding me. Like, as if somehow I thought that I was exempt. All right. You know that you're... Um, I, yes. Okay, stop. That woman's us. <laughs> like, uh, that pause was a little too long for me. I mean, you know, just a little bit. You know how, like, it. it I know how it is, but it's like, you're like, come on. <laughs> I understand, like, that you have days where you're, like, not feeling your best. I get that. Mm -hmm. But it's, like... (sighs) That's how I feel about you when you have ugly days. No, 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 it fully is. You can't tell me how I feel. No, it's true. (laughs) That's how I feel. No, no, no. no. (laughs) You're not. 
can't tell me how I feel. That's how I feel. <laughs> I just don't believe that you have days like that because no. What do you mean? You're just like, I, I feel about you the way that I feel about her. That's how I feel about you is how I feel about no. her. It is. No. It is. Like when you have days where you say that you don't want to look at your face, I'm like, but it's the most perfect face. Like I don't. No. I'm Do done not. with my, okay, I'm done with my stop. Let's play. I think I've come to that realization late. <laughs> because there's um, so much documentation of my growing up, so to speak, I do think, God, what was I worried? Like, what was I obsessed? You know, the, the different obsessions over the years of feeling less than or fat or whatever issues I had with myself. It is suddenly occurring to me that I'm starting the wrong way. <laughs> the first thing I think of when I think of myself is mother. And I am, for all intents and purposes, a single mother, even though I have full-time nanny, which I don't consider that to be single mother done. And also their father is very active in their lives. But I think it would be difficult for me to be in a relationship where the man was the boss. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. Hmm. Well, okay, I guess that? the one thing that... Here's a little insight into me. <laughs> when I clicked on the video, that's where it played from. That part right there? That that little noise. Yep. <laughs> Just a little something about me. That's beautiful. I had a feeling. <laughs> Let's continue. Okay. Three. Also, her little... I know. The man so was cute. the boss. Okay. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. I had been told about myself and I now recognize about myself and would not change is that I do have a tendency to be uh, outspoken and sometimes inappropriately spoken. You know, sometimes people respond to you because they've been told you're famous, but they don't know why and they just want to get your autograph because you're famous. And that does not give me a hit. <laughs> and does that affect your personal relationships. It is hard. Like, start, boys starting a new school here and, and wanting to feel a part of the, the community of parents. And also knowing that at the minute I kind of step into a room, it shifts things and wishing that it wouldn't shift things. <laughs> There's something there of me. A little bit masculine, a little bit David Bowie. This is me. It's ish. <laughs> she will be she... at the end. <laughs> she wants to be David Bowie, first of all. Totally. That yeah. is, yeah, she was compared to him and she's like, yeah. Well, it's like, it's like that thing. It's like a constant complex that I have. It's like, do I really want to date that boy or do I want to look like him? <laughs> I feel like that's a very similar complex Jillian has about David Bowie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and she's just been able to settle in on, which I often do. I just want to look like him. 
And I love that. That's beautiful. What a lovely interview to end the season on. I know because it's kind of, she's talking about how it makes me kind of sad because she's talking about how like she doesn't feel a place with the parents and we're watching in a time where she didn't feel on in like she had a place in this show and it's just like that's but it, but it ebbs and flows and then she has power in other moments and so it's just nice to remember for ourselves you know yeah and also just remember just remember (laughs) country boy i love you also just remember that um you know life is hard sometimes and if it's ever just really getting you down all it takes is just looking at jillian anderson's baby soft skin and perfect features for what was that about a minute and a half three and uh okay <laughs> three minutes <laughs> well only like a minute and a half <laughs> um for three minutes and um all of your troubles will go away <laughs> or they'll become compounded by new ones you know it, it's a journey life's a journey it happens you know but um that's it <laughs> So we're going to be taking a little two-week hiatus for the holidays because this should come out on the the 21st. So mm-hmm. we're going to take a little two weeks for our holidays and for our mental health. And that's what we're going to do. So we love you. Catch up on the episodes. Enjoy some downtime. Take care of yourselves. And we'll see you back in the new year for season two. And uh, hopefully I'm really counting on 2021 to um bring a lot of you know good things i'm manifesting we're manifesting (laughs) one of the manifestations is uh that that little inappropriately outspoken bit of of miss jillian anderson comes back to us and to her force we want that for her her to be the boss and we love you listeners thanks for being we We made it through season one one yay i know all of us yeah have fun catching up on the episodes if you want to if you still have to do that and um that's about it that's about it bye Bye.